Please be seated. Please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, in your word you tell us that unless you build the house, the workers labor in vain. So in this time together, as we gather around your word, may you build this house. By your Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want us to see and hear. And open our hearts that we might be transformed at the reading of your holy word. In your Son's precious name we pray, and all of God's people said. The Old Testament reading today is Second Chronicles 7, verses 11 through 15. You can find it on page 460 in your pew Bible. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Thank you, Nancy. Five years ago on this very Sunday, I addressed Highland Park Presbyterian Church, a church in Dallas that I previously served as their missions pastor. I addressed them for the last time and just thanked them for their support of me as their missions pastor and specifically for their financial support to local and global missions. Uh, while I was there, by God's grace, uh, 25% of the money that came in was actually going out to local and global missions. And as I addressed them, I shared with them one line from a, a famous poem by the great missionary. C.T. Studd, this, uh, he wrote Only One Life. It says, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Well, this morning, I would like to share with you my church family, First Presbyterian Church of Amarillo, where my wife and I feel called to serve and to raise our children, the entire poem from C.T. Studd's Only One Life. Only One Life. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, Gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, 
when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy words to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one life. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What makes that poem so great for me is not the beautiful refrain of only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last, but rather that the author of that poem, C.T. Studd, lived it out. You see, C.T. Studd was a missionary from England, and he was a very successful cricket player as a young man, and he could have continued on playing cricket, but he was called by God to go into the mission field, specifically to China. And so he was a part of the Cambridge Seven, these seven men who traveled to China as missionaries, and they were very successful in their missionary work. And eventually, C.T. Studd uh, met his wife there, and Priscilla Stewart, and they had six children. Now, with the birth of six children, we, many of us would have understood if they had decided to go back to England, to Great Britain, where their family lived, so they might raise their children there, but that's not what they did. Now, they left China, and then they traveled to India, where he served as a missionary in India for many, many years. And eventually, he traveled to Africa to serve as a missionary there, where eventually he died as a missionary in the Congo. What is it that inspires a man like C.T. Studd to leave his home in Great Britain, to leave the comfort of his Christian culture, and to spend his life as a missionary in foreign lands like China, India, and Africa? What is it that that challenges a man like C.T. Studd to be so willing to leave it all to follow Christ, to go and, and to serve him in places like China and India and Africa? Where so many of us here in the United States, well, we're just happy when we're able to get up in time to get to church on Sundays. What is it about C.T. Studd that allowed him to follow God's call wherever God might call him to go? C.T. Studd left the Christian comfort of Great Britain to follow God's call to China, India, and Africa. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That wasn't simply a refrain and a poem for C.T. Studd. That was the, the very words in which he lived by. That was his motto for life. He was committed to that, that understanding that only what's done for Christ will ultimately last. As we look at the Bible today, we can see he's right. In the end, the only thing that's really going to matter is what we did for Christ. Our cars and our homes and our possessions, those will all pass away. But what we've done for Christ and helping point someone to Christ and helping change a, a person's life for Christ, that will last for all eternity. C.T. Studd once wrote, I cannot tell you what joy it gave me to bring the first soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. I have tasted almost all the pleasures that this world can give, but those pleasures were as nothing compared to the joy that the saving of that one soul gave me. When was the last time you prayed with someone to accept Christ? When was the last time you talked to someone about Jesus? Uh, Recently, Murray was sharing with us about Blair and how you'd had an opportunity to minister to a young girl through Young Life and help bring her to Christ. And Murray said to us, you know, it never gets old, does it? 
Praying with someone to accept Christ never gets old. It's what it's all about. C.C. Studd was so willing to go wherever God might send him to see people come to Christ that he would leave the comfort of his own home and go to places like China and then India and then Africa. C.T. Studd knew that the things of this world are, are passing away. Only the things that are done for Christ will ultimately matter and last for eternity. Where can we find the kind of courage, the kind of passion, the kind of commitment that C.T. Studd had? Where can we find the kind of boldness and resolve and focus that C.T. Studd had? Where can we find the kind of a power to preach the gospel that C.T. Studd had? To find out, open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Verses 1 through 14, it may be found on page 1156 of your pew Bible, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to open our hearts and minds at the reading and the preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you inspired Luke to put pen to paper so that we might have your word today. I pray, O oh Lord, that as we read your word, you might speak to our hearts You might give us eyes to see what you want us to see and ears to hear what you want us to hear. You might give us a heart that would be open and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Acts chapter one beginning at verse one. Listen to the word of the Lord. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said. You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they'd entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This seems kind of funny if you think about it. Uh, Jesus gives the great commission in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. In fact, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 sort of serves as the thesis of the entire book of Acts when Jesus says, but power will come upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Acts 1 verse 8 is the thesis of the whole book because, well, the the church begins in Jerusalem as the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and then they begin to go out and they share the gospel in Judea, and then they share the gospel to Samaria, and eventually they share the gospel to the ends of the earth. But what's funny about this scene is is after they receive this great commission, they see Jesus ascend into heaven, and they watch, and they stand, and they watch, and they watch, and they do nothing. God eventually has to send two of his angels to tell the men to, to go on, get going. God has work for you to do. Jesus told you to go to Jerusalem, right? I mean, think about this scene just from, from the perspective of heaven just for a minute. Let's get a little imaginative. Uh, we have to be a little creative here, but just think about it. Jesus has, has just fulfilled all the work that the Father had sent him to do. He ascends to heaven, and I imagine when he got to heaven, like when my son does something great, he gives him a high five, you know, the Heavenly Father's like, high five, Jesus, good job, and good job, son, and Jesus like, thank you, Lord, you know, thank you, Daddy, and all excited, and he says, oh, you know, all the work that I sent you to do, you've done, and, and soon we'll be sending the Holy Spirit to Jerusalem, and the apostles can, can get spread the word about our, our great love for all of them and all of creation can be redeemed it's going to be great but wait a minute Jesus your, dis- your disciples aren't moving they're just standing there watching and Jesus is like I know daddy I told them you heard me tell them right to go to Jerusalem but they're just they don't listen very well my disciples those guys are just standing there watching how guilty are we of just standing around watching when it comes to sharing our faith I know many of us are pretty busy. We've all got work to do. Our schedules are filled with things and activities and different projects. But when it comes to telling others the good news about Jesus, how often do we tend to just stand around and let others do it or we do nothing at all? Now, I know that we come from the Reformed faith, and of course, the Reformed faith was, was born out of the Reformation. Uh, Martin Luther saw what the Roman Catholic was, Church was doing, charging money for indulgences to have sins forgiven, and he wanted to reform the church, and so he put up the 95 Thesis on the door of the Wittenberg Chapel, and as he got back to the scriptures, you know, we, we had the cry of the Reformation, which we were saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. And in the Reformed faith, as Presbyterians, we always emphasize the saving work of Christ, that it's not about us and what we do that we're saved, but it's rather by what Christ has done for us. And in gratitude for God's work and what Christ has done for us on the cross, that he he died on our cross for our sins, and then on the third day he rose again, in gratitude for what he's done for us, we seek to live in a a way that will honor Christ, to, to bring glory to Christ with our lives. But when it comes to sharing our faith, we as Presbyterians, we often do a lot of standing around, don't we? It's like we're just either waiting for Christ to return or when we die or we're just hoping the Baptists or the Church of Christ will do the evangelism for us, right? Now, it's true that conversion is ultimately a work of the Holy Spirit. God is the one who ultimately knocks on the doors of a person's heart. But as we look at the scriptures, we can see that we are called to be the messengers of his good news. That God's plan is to use us to tell others about him. The message of salvation is not simply meant to be Received, but it's meant to be shared. 
prescriptures tell us that God so loved the world, right? And even though we were sinners, as Romans 3.23 tells us, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners in need of his grace. And Romans 6.23 goes on to tell us that, that the wage of sin is death as we stand before God's judgment seat. We're, we're found guilty of sin, and, and the right punishment for our sin is death. But the good news of the gospel we find in Romans 5, verse 8, that God demonstrates his love toward us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price for our sins. Yes, God loved us too much to abandon us in our sin. No, he sent his one and only son here to this earth to be born as a baby in a manger who lived without sin, who lived as the perfect example of how to live and how to love and how to serve God. And so he died as the perfect sacrifice on a cross for our sins. And then on the third day, he conquered sin and death on our behalf with his resurrection. That's the good news of the gospel. And that through faith in Christ, we receive this great gift and we have the assurance of eternal life. As John 3.16 tells us, please say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The work of salvation has been done on our behalf because of what Christ has done. But we're not simply told to receive that gift. We're called to share that gift with others. And doesn't it feel good to know that when we die, that's not the end of the story? That one day we'll all be with Christ in in heaven, in our heavenly Father's house where there are many rooms. He's gone to prepare a place for each one of us. Isn't that good news to, to have the assurance of eternal life? But what about your coworker who doesn't know Jesus? Do they they have that same assurance today? What about your loved one who stopped going to church except during high holidays of like Christmas and Easter? Do they really know Jesus? What about your classmates? Do they all know Jesus? Do they live a life that reflects they know who Jesus is? Did you know here in the United States there are over 93 million people who do not know Christ? Over 93 million people. Dana Allen, a couple of weeks ago, pointed out that that makes the United States the third largest unreached country with the gospel of Christ. Of course, in Amarillo, I mean, everyone seems to know Christ, right? I mean, you can go to people and ask them where they go to church, and they usually have a pretty good answer, right? I remember when my wife and I were living in New Jersey, uh, that wasn't necessarily the case. And when we lived in Dallas and Houston, that wasn't necessarily the case. And so we couldn't just say, where do you go to church? We would first say, do you go to church? Um, that may not be true. And, and so they would give us a name or not, and, and, and then we would try to point them to our church and point them to Christ. But here in Amarillo, you can kind of almost assume it and say, where do you go to church? And people will give you a name of some place. But do they really go? More importantly, do they really know that Jesus is Lord? In Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus challenges all those who are listening with these words from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus makes it real clear in Matthew 7 that salvation isn't about religious acts or performing a certain way. It's about knowing him. The people who are condemned in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, they're doing good things. They're casting out demons. They're prophesying. But at the end of the day, they did not know Jesus. And according to Jesus, salvation is found in knowing him, not necessarily going to a particular church or being a part of a particular 
denomination. According to Jesus, salvation is found in knowing him. Does everyone in Amarillo really know Jesus? Do they know how much Jesus loves them? Do they understand that Jesus loves them so much that he was willing to die for them on a cross? In gratitude for God's amazing grace, have they surrendered their lives to to Jesus and confessed with their lips that Jesus Christ alone is Lord and believed in their hearts that God raised him from the dead as Paul tells us to do in Romans chapter 10 verse 9? Is everyone in Amarillo really following Jesus today? Well, what do we do do to help point others to Jesus? What are we to do to help introduce our coworkers and our neighbors, our classmates, our friends to Jesus? Are we prayerfully seeking how God might use us to be a witness today? Or are we selfishly focused on ourselves and our own tasks and our own needs and our own wants rather than seeing how God might use us to be an instrument of his grace to others? I love the way Eugene Peterson translates verse 9 of Acts chapter 1 uh, in the message. He says to uh, the angels, say to the disciples, you Galileans, why do you just stand here looking up at an empty sky? What are you doing? Get to work. The disciples get their marching orders to go to Jerusalem. Initially, they just stand around and look up, knowing like us that what comes up must come down, right? So they see Jesus go up, and they're like, when's he coming down? We'll just wait till Jesus gets here. Then we'll be done, right? She said, no, I'm sending my Holy Spirit so you can go and be a witness. Now, to the earliest disciples' credit, to the first century church's credit, when these angels come and speak to them and tell them to go, they go. And notice that once the disciples disperse, they, before the Holy Spirit comes on that first Pentecost Sunday, the disciples gather together in one place with one accord, as verse 14 tells us, they pray. They devoted themselves for 10 days to prayer. As you can see from the book of Acts, prayer is always the first step to an effective witness. Before we talk to a person about God, we need to first talk to God about that person. As C.T. Studd knew, it is the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to be an effective witness here on this earth today. It says we pray, God begins to move in our hearts so that we might walk in step with his spirit so that we might effectively point others to him in the things that we say and in the things that we do. As C.T. Studd said, it, it's that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit that he hears. And he was able to hear that still, small voice because he took time each and every day to, to pray. Before the disciples ever preached the gospel of Jesus, They prayed. They prayed for guidance, they prayed for direction, they prayed for boldness, they prayed for the words that God might give them to speak. Did you know that prayer is mentioned 31 times in the book of Acts? In 20 of the 28 chapters of the book of Acts, the book of Acts tells the story of the earliest church. In 20 of the 28 chapters, people are praying. The earliest church was constantly gathering together, praying. Because they knew that conversion is ultimately a work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who would give them the words to speak. It's the Holy Spirit who's going to move in the heart of the listener so their heart might be quickened and they might respond to his grace. As Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. Murray often says the most we can do is pray, and I believe he's right. The most we can do is pray. Now, I know many of us, we probably pray in the morning, we probably pray before meals. 
But are we praying throughout the day that God might use us in some way to point others to him? Missionaries like C.T. Studd had a running conversation with God throughout their day so that he could hear the quiet promptings of the Holy Spirit. That's why C.T. Studd was such an effective missionary. What if we began to pray before every appointment? What if we began to pray before every conversation? What if we began to pray before every class that God might guide us and lead us and give us the words to speak in that moment so that we might point others to him? Did you know that the largest Presbyterian church in the world is in South Korea? Specifically, it's in Seoul, Korea. Myungsung Church, Presbyterian Church in Seoul, Korea, has 120,000 members. 120,000 members. That's bigger than my hometown of Midland, Texas. And... It started in 1980. We started in 1890, and we have 1,000 members. This church, Myungsung Church in Seoul, Korea, has grown exponentially because they made a commitment at their very beginning that they would have these pre-dawn prayer meetings. They've been going on for 35 years. They've been praying that God might guide them to point others to Jesus. As Nancy read just a moment ago in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, God tells Solomon after he's dedicated the temple that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. When we come to the Lord in prayer, we're humbling ourselves, recognizing that on our own, we can't do what God has asked us to do. And so we need his help. We need his direction. And as we begin to pray, we begin to walk and step with the Holy Spirit. And God begins to use us as an instrument of his grace. Begins to use us as a witness to point others to him. I don't know if you've had a chance to see the movie War Room. Anybody see War Room? Okay, not many of you. You need to go see War Room. It's at Hollywood Theaters. It's, it's amazing. It's a great movie. And it talks about the importance of prayer, not only in a marriage, but in our country today. And how our battle in this life isn't against flesh and blood, but really our battle's against the spirits of the, present, of the powers of this present darkness, as the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. As a missional church that recognizes that we're all missionaries sent by God to be a witness of his love wherever we are, we need to be in the habit of praying throughout our days so that God might use us to be a witness, an effective witness of his love. This morning, I want us to spend just a few moments praying. As you walked into this uh, church this morning, you may have noticed that in your bulletin there were several inserts. One of them is a trifle that lists all of our missionaries, our global missionaries. The other one is a single piece of paper that lists all of our local ministry partners, and they were here uh, this last week. Uh, you can see the slides there. I'm going to ask us to spend some time just praying, and I want us to begin by praying for those people that we know who are far from God, people in our lives. I've got a cousin, Mark, who's far from God right now. I've got a friend from college named Steve who's, who's far from God. We, I want us to begin by praying for those people. And then as the Lord leads you, I want you to pray for these, these local ministry partners that God might use them. And you can see their specific prayer requests there. And then I would encourage you to pray for our global mission partners as well. Let's spend some time praying just as the first church century did, gathering with one accord in one place, praying for the Holy Spirit, praying that God would guide them. Let's pray now quietly at our place, at our pews today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I know that it's a, a beautiful thing when your people gather together. They gather together to pray. I thank you for the witness of the church in Seoul, Korea, who's been praying every morning. 
for 35 years and how you have added to their number daily those who are being saved. I pray, O Lord, that you would guide us. We thank you for the people that you've brought into our lives that have crossed our path who do not yet know you. I pray that in some way you might use us to be an instrument of your grace, that you might use us to to point them to you and the things that we say and the things that we do and that if a conversation might present itself, Lord, you'd give us boldness and you'd give us the words to speak to point them to you, to point them to your great love and what you did for us on the cross and how you've conquered sin and death on our behalf with your resurrection on the third day. I also thank you, Lord, for our local ministry partners. I thank you for Will Esler and, of course, Orlando and Murray and all of their work to help mobilize our church to be involved here locally in missions. I thank you, Lord, for all of our global missionaries around the globe, Lord, who are doing a great work. And I pray that we might take these flyers and we might take this trifold home with us and that, like the earliest church, like the church in Seoul, Korea, every day we would spend some time praying to you, asking for your guiding hand to be with them and to be with us. Oh, God, I thank you that you hear the cries and the prayers of your people as we humble ourselves before you. Lord, we confess that we probably haven't prayed enough, so God, I pray you'd help us to, by your spirit, make our requests known to you, knowing that you are a God who, who hears us and welcomes our prayers, and you're a God who moves in and through our prayers. Lord, help us to be a, the kind of people who are in a constant conversation with you, to be in constant prayer and petition so that we might walk and step with your spirit each and every day. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ. And all God's people said, amen. In his book, Just Walk Across the Room, which we actually have some copies of in the Narthex, if you'd like a copy of that book, Bill Hybels, the great author and uh, pastor, offers this simple prayer, and I'd like for us all to pray this together. This is the prayer he prays every uh, day before he begins his day. Uh, We could pray this together if you flash it up on the screen there. Let's all pray this together as our closing prayer for the sermon. My life is in your hands, O God. Use me to point someone toward you today. I promise to cooperate in any way I can. If you want me to say a word for you today, I'll do that. If you want me to keep quiet but demonstrate love and servanthood, by your Spirit's power, I will. I'm fully available to you today. So guide me by your Spirit. Amen. Amen. Speaking of being guided by your Spirit, Dick Doyle is